All right. So we as a church family, man, a lot of exciting things. Baptisms. Uh, after 10.30, we had a, 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 a father, Ben, was back up here, worship pastor who passed the baton to Joel, singing with his daughter. I mean, all these things just get me so excited about what God's doing in our church family, which is led by this group of overseers. Overseers is what we call elders. And before I tell you more, I want to call all of our overseers to come up forward as we present a new potential overseer. Bob Walker, please help me welcome them, and then I'll give the word to Tracy Dean. Come on up. Come on up. Tracy, that is your microphone, sir. You have the word. Very good. Good morning. Good to see everyone here. I, uh, every time I say that, I get reminded of uh, my favorite funeral director who always has a great joke, Mr. Thomason over here at the Thomason Funeral Home, where he always says, it's better to be seen than viewed. Amen. <laughs> so, good to see you this morning. <laughs> I was asked to come and sort of introduce this because I'm the oldest or the longest serving overseer of the group right now. Not something I ever aspired to be, which is the oldest guy in the group, but here I am. Yeah, it happens fast. So um, let, let's talk a little bit about who you are. How, how many people in here have, uh, are new, basically, that's been here for like one to three years? Hmm. Wonderful. How about those of you who have been here like three to five years? How many over five years? Ah, very nice. How many of you were here for the inception? Still got a few. Hey, y'all. I was here for the inception as well. And what's that been, 27 years? 30 years. 30 this years. January. 30 years. Holy this mackerel. Okay. Praise Jesus, it's good to see all the new Amen. people here. And so, have you ever wondered um, who in this church body is charged with making the definitive decisions that determine the vision and the direction of CCC? I mean, you're coming here. You could go anywhere. Why is that? If you haven't wondered, you should have. So who is it at CCC that ultimately, I say CCC because it's too long to say Cypress Creek Church every time, but who is it at CCC that ultimately decides what kind of church we're going to be? Who decides who is going to be charged with implementing and guiding our vision? That includes nuts and bolts things like hiring and firing and accountability, evaluation of people who are on staff. Uh, who, who is it that decides how we're going to respond to current events and cultural developments? Who decides whether we're gonna stay open if everybody else is shutting down for COVID and so on and so forth? Who in the beginning decided that we're gonna be a cell group church? If you don't know what a cell group church is, that's what we are. We, it's a little different. It's not a pastor-centered church. It's a people-centered church. And you have cells, which are called community groups here. That's what we encourage you to all get involved with. 
That's where you build relationships. That's where you get discipled. That's where you learn about the church, grow in the word. There's all different kinds. You can go to a women's group. You can go to a group where the whole family worships and learns together, which I love. All different opportunities there. We encourage you to get involved because that's the basis of who we are. And then each of those groups has a cell group leader. And then we have those that are over the cell group leaders. So this is kind of the hierarchy and how it works. It's the people, the cell group, the cell group leader, the pastors, and lastly, the overseers. That's who we are. This fine group of gentlemen here. Somebody said this morning, I see all the overseers are here. Are you getting fired? (laughs) I said, I hope so. (laughs) I've been here a long time, but I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. So how are the overseers chosen? What are their qualifications? What is their purpose? And how many are there? Well, I'm glad you asked. Anyone that is to be considered to be an overseer, must have the right qualifications as is defined in, the word, defined in the word and affirmed by the Holy Spirit. We here as a church exist only to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's his house. Amen. It's his blood that bought who we are and the opportunities we have. The Bible is his instruction manual to us, his love letter, if you will, is the source of our marching orders and the basis of all wisdom. So what are the qualifications to be an overseer? Well, you can find there are enumerated in uh, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 5 through 9. Check that out, because I'm not gonna go through the whole list for you. But I'll read some of them for you. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, respected and respectable, hospitable, able to teach, uncontentious, one who manages his household well, not a new convert, God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, loving what is good, devout, holding fast to the faithful word. A list like that and what you can find in those two passages of Scripture, groups of passages, is not intended to be all there is to it. It's not a list that you just check off of and, okay, he's he's okay to be considered. Uh, A man could have all those traits and still not be qualified as an overseer in this church. It has to fit. How many overseers should there be? It's not a set number here. We hold these things loosely as as a church and as a group of overseers. It's not a set number, but you know, seven would be good. We've I've been here long enough to see them come and go for many reasons. We've had seven or maybe even more than that at times. Uh, but seven would be good if we could come to that number. We govern by consensus. That's to inform you. How, how do we work as a group? We govern by consensus, which means if there's something that comes to us that needs to be determined, we have to either all agree on it or we have to not agree so much as to protest. In other words, 
If you still have a little check in your spirits as long you're not, it's not big enough for you to protest, then we can move forward. That is a difficult way to run a business, so to speak. But it works. It works really well. I've seen things we've uh, contemplated last for months before we came to a final conclusion. But it was good. It still stands today. We're not on a timeline to get to a certain number. Again, it has to be in God's time. And I will say this, we're always looking. Uh, You're encouraged as a body to bring to the attention of our leadership anyone that you think that would be a good overseer. You might wanna check with that person first because it is a lot of sacrifice. Uh, An overseer is charged with many responsibilities Some functional nuts and bolts kinds of things. Um, Those kinds of things are the same for all organizations. It's different. One of the things that's a little different than the nuts and bolts of a board of directors, one of the things that's a big difference, you're charged with the oversight of the blood-bought flock. In Acts 20, 28 through 30, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. This raises the ante for an overseer. It gives them a different dimension of responsibility. They are the keeper of the word. They are the ones that are to oversee what is presented in the church according to the gospel. Do you believe that the gospel Uh, is the final word. Do you believe that it can be changed? Do you believe that you can add to it? Do you believe that you can take away from it? We are charged with making sure that we oversee the flock based on what the Lord gave us in the way of instructions. So once a candidate is identified, the overseers go through an exhaustive process of prayer and discussion before moving forward. The candidate is then contacted and invited to pray and consider the possibility. If we get to a place where we believe we should continue, we invite that candidate to sit in on several overseer meetings, which are generally at least once a month. If things continue to progress positively, we come to the next step, and that includes you. That is where we are today. We are pleased that we have a candidate to present to you for consideration as an overseer. And now the ball will be in your court for the next 40 days. As part of the process that we have implemented here from the beginning, you are encouraged and instructed to pray specifically about this for the next 40 days. If you have any questions, or concerns about anything, you are encouraged to contact any of our leadership team. 
a cell group leader, a pastor, an overseer. You can do this through the website. You can do this in person. But that's what you need to do. So I am honored at this time to introduce to you and to encourage you to consider Mr. Bob Walker as a candidate for overseer at Cypress Creek Church. And this is your time to participate in the process. He will tell you more about himself later. But I want to introduce the whole group right now to you. These are your current overseers, Lenny Freeman, Paul Dunn, Pax Shagnon, and Jose Averroa. By, it's always that the lead pastor is part of the overseer groups, as it should be. And so I would like to pray over Bob right now, and then I'll turn it back over to those who are in charge of running the rest of it. So if you guys would help me. Father, we're grateful for this wonderful day that you've given us, of which many things will be happening we can celebrate together in your name. Mm. One of them is Bob Walker here. Thank mm -hmm. you, Father, that he has been willing mm -hmm. to accept the mantle, the responsibility of helping us oversee this church. He is a seasoned leader. He has a lot of experience. We have heard from you, Lord, Thank you for everything that you're doing in this church, yes. which is mighty. Yes. It is healthy, mm -hmm. and we are grateful. Mm -hmm. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Yes, Amen. 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 Yes, sir. Thank you, Tracy, Bob. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Can we give it up for Tracy? Well, good morning. My name is Bob Walker, and if we haven't met yet, uh, I'd look forward to visiting with you and getting to know you as I hope you'll begin to know me. Um, I'm not really big on jewelry, and uh, since the advent of the Fitbit and the Apple Watch and that sort of thing, uh, my variety of jewelry has dwindled a bit. I do, however, wear two rings, both of which have special meaning for me and speak to what's important to me personally. The first is this gold ring that I received 46 and a half years ago, my wedding ring. It hasn't been off my left hand since April of 1976 for two reasons. For one, there's no way I could take it off even if I wanted to. <laughs> <clears throat> As you might imagine, back in 1976, parts of me were thicker and parts of me were thinner, and I'll let you sort out which parts were part which. Um, the other reason I would never take it off is that it was given to me by the wife of my youth. Uh, we had dated for a couple of years and met through some mutual acquaintances. After a pretty disastrous first date and an invitation to talk afterwards, we learned of our mutual love for Jesus. And you might say the rest is history. But inside this ring, other than, of course, my finger, is something she had engraved, Ruth 1.16, which says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, 
and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Needless to say, I married up. But she and I were grafted together into a family that would eventually grow to five with three children, all now grown on their own and all with their own challenges, opportunities, and individual walks. That's another story for another time, perhaps. My other ring I purchased in 2019. My wife wears one identical to it. The engraving on it is from Romans 11:17, which says, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, through a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. We have been grafted into God's family. And as such, we are children of the king. So this ring reminds me of that every morning as I put it on. That's not about my performance or my failures or my accomplishments. He accepts me the way I am, and that's enough. Now, remembering that uh, we are gathering a gathering of imperfect people who serve a perfect God, I need to say that I qualify as one of the most imperfect people I could ever imagine. My history from childhood was centered all on the externals of appearance, performance, and perfection. And as a result of that, I grew up in a household that put those things first and foremost. My nuclear family, and if you don't know what a nuclear family is, that's two parents and two and a half children. I was the half. My nuclear family included my parents, older sister, and older brother. My dad was all about business, seven days a week. My mother was all about social. Bridge club, garden club, country club, you name it, she was there. So I found myself on my own a lot. Fast forward a few years, as I entered my senior year of high school, I'd been dating a girl who attended a church that was different from mine one that my mother took me to all, the, all of my life, but rather than the weekly ritual I was accustomed to, they spoke about Jesus as if he was a real person rather than simply a character in a book. It was my first time I'd heard the gospel, and it caused me to start thinking about my own relationship with God. Well, as you might imagine, the girl dumped me, and I was devastated but still searching for that relationship with God that I knew I needed. I started attending youth gatherings and at the age of 18, had an encounter with Jesus that changed my life forever. Again, a story for another time, but I can tell you that my friend and I prayed together to receive Christ, both crediting each other with leading each of us to our salvation. College was a real time of growth. My faith, uh, in my faith and in my independence, uh, as I was mentored in Campus Crusade for Christ and rose in leadership roles in my fraternity. Now, I'm sure you may think fraternity. Well, there was certainly some Animal House moments. 
But there were also a lot of times where God was moving through the lives of the men in that fraternity house. And I saw several come to know the Lord and go on to lead their own ministries. Again, story for another time. So I graduated on Sunday, in, uh, on a Sunday in May of 1973, and I went to work at KXOL Radio in Fort Worth on Monday. And life was both interesting and exciting as I began a career in broadcasting. You probably could have guessed. From there to WFAA in Dallas, and even greater challenges as I let my desires for the world overshadow my desires to know God. On June 15th of 1974, I had my first date with Karen. As I mentioned, it was a disaster. But God found a way at the end of the evening over a Dr. Pepper to lead us into a two-hour conversation about our faith. And we were, we were to date from then on until our wedding on April 10th of 1976. 1976 was a challenging year. A month before our wedding, Karen's father suddenly died. Two months after our wedding, my father also suddenly died. And three months later, I quit my job in broadcasting to pursue a new career in event production, something I've now done for 46 years, not counting today. I am a card-carrying workaholic, an addiction I've struggled with for my entire career, and one that became obvious throughout our marriage and with the raising of our children. I did mention I was imperfect. I was busy traveling all around the world, producing events of all shapes and sizes from 100 to 10,000 people, meeting and working with all types of people and business leaders to heads of state to celebrities in music, politics, entertainment, sports. I have to say, it was fun. And I selfishly enjoyed it while my family suffered at home. 2006 was to be our 30th anniversary, and right before we were to leave for a trip to Europe, I was diagnosed with cancer. God was trying to get my attention, no doubt, but who was I to let a little cancer get in my way and slow me down? I pressed on and ended up keeping it quiet while I had the surgery and recovered. My pride would not allow me to have anyone think I couldn't handle it. 2009, God sent me another gentle reminder as the cancer returned and more treatment, this time radiation. And once again, I pressed on with my career, reaching new levels of success in my industry, my company, with my peers, all the time allowing my family to suffer and all the time trying to perform to perfection. 2017 again, the cancer returned with some devastating results as I tried my best to avoid the reality of the life I was leading. And then, May the 4th, 2019, I'll never forget God's message that day, as the left side of my body went completely limp and numb. A stroke that clearly frightened my wife and struck out of nowhere Thanks to Wimberley EMS, thank you, Ken, and to the ER in Kyle, I survived the ordeal. And I was beginning to realize what I already knew, 
God wanted me to realign my priorities and start serving him. It was like I was trying to hold down a beach ball underwater. Everything on the surface looked perfect, but I was struggling to keep it under and not let it explode out of the surface and wash all over me and everyone around me. After three attempts at retirement, some call it serial retirement, 2016, 2018, and 2020, when COVID hit, I'm now in a new chapter in my life, one God has been preparing me for for the over the past 50 years, and now realizing that holding down that beach ball of perfectionism is an impossible task. I'm simply not allowing him to drive. No longer am I living under the illusion that I'm in control. And those passengers of shame and fear have been riding along with me. Well, I'm giving him control and simply trusting him to put me where he wants me. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2 says, As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. That serving consists of listening, being empathetic, providing healing, being aware, having foresight, being a good steward, having a commitment to growth and building community. Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus told the disciples, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The role of an overseer at Cypress Creek Church, much like uh, that of Moses, Esther, Peter, and certainly Jesus, is to serve. If it be his will, I am ready and will be honored to serve. Thank you. Been looking at this verse in Ephesians. It won't be on the screen, but it just came to mind. Ephesians 4.16 that says that God makes the whole body work together so that as each part does its own special work, the church will grow healthy and full of love. And I truly believe that we're seeing that verse in action. Bob has the support of the overseers to become an overseer. Again, as Tracy said, if you have any questions, concerns, if you want to support Bob, we are all on stage so that you can see who we are. Talk to your favorite overseer. You can also email overseers at cypresscreekchurch.com. On purpose, I am not a part of that email. So if you have any concerns about me, <laughs> you can email overseers at cypresscreekchurch.com and know that they, who are my accountability, will be able to have that uh, email in here from you. Whoo! I had a whole message planned <laughs> that I'm not going to go through all the way, but it is just awesome what God is up to. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Jesus, we give you all the glory. 
We thank you for how you choose to use us here on earth to represent you. You choose to move through this imperfect church in powerful ways. We pray that your perfect love would continue to cast out any fear in us and any, any fear that we have as, as a body so that we can show up to those that don't yet know you, Jesus, so that we could be salt and light here on earth in our community. We pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to continue to guide us into all truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Question popped into my head. What is God calling you to do? He's called us sons and daughters, but he has a specific divine assignment for all of us, even as we operate as uh, moms and dads and college students and junior high students and high school students and teachers and EMT and police officers and accountants and lawyers and doctors and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He is putting people into our life so that we can pour out God's love in specific enriching ways. That's what this last G is all about. We've been looking at about the four G's in these, this holy rhythm of grace. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's read that. Uh, these are the four G's that, that we've been talking about, but let's read that Matthew chapter 11 passage that talks about this rest that Jesus gives us. He says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We looked at the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, the message, and he says, uh, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn, learn to live freely and lightly. So these four Gs, these rhythms that this early church was practicing actually bring us rest when we activate them in our life. What are they? Well, let's read them quickly, and then we're just going to go, I think, through one point this morning, and then we'll, we'll continue the message next week. But Jesus uh, has ascended into heaven. His Holy Spirit has descended, empowering the church to go out there, living this first church gathering in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So they were growing up to become more like Jesus. They were growing up in their faith. They were being sanctified. They were becoming more like Jesus. And then it says that all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. We talked about this last week. They were giving to one another. They're being stewards of God's resources and sharing them. Let's keep reading, gathering, and day by day attending the temple together. That's this Sunday morning gathering. And then they were breaking bread in their homes, these cell groups, these community groups. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And last, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the church was growing as people were going. They were going out. The whole book of Acts talks about this church activated and mobilized, and you see awesome things in the name of Jesus happen. Go 
out. Some of us are like, that's the last thing I can gather, I can give, and I can grow. Do not ask me to share my faith with somebody. Do not ask me to step out in an uncomfortable situation, right? Well, good news for you is that Jesus said this. He said this in John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the good news is that when we gather, when we grow, and when we give to one another, people will know that we are disciples of Jesus. When we gather in community groups, they will know, hey, that house over there has this gathering on Tuesday nights, and they love each other so well. It's contagious. When, when they see you picking up your kids after school, and they're like, man, there's something about this group of friends. They are disciples of Jesus. They're living differently. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. That's not it. <laughs> there is more. The last words of Jesus were Matthew 28, where he says, go. Therefore, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That is students of Jesus, followers of the way of all nations, of all backgrounds, of all people groups, in all languages, not just one, but all. It's all-inclusive, baptizing them. That's what we will celebrate after the 1030 gathering, this one-time activity that is an outward symbol of an inward reality, but then continually immersing ourselves in the things of God and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So not only teaching information, but actually living it out and, and watching God transform us inside out. It's about obedience. And then surely God is with us. He is with us every single step of the way. Three problems when we don't go out and we just gather and give to and uh, uh, grow up just individually in our walks. The first is we start gathering like this, and then we become anxious about the little things. We start thinking about what's not to our uh, liking, and it becomes an issue. And, and then it just becomes about uplifting what we do here, making sure that community group is filled with all of our best friends. And well, I don't like that. And, and so we, we become inward focused. We become anxious. The second thing that happens when we become inward focused is we, we become apathetic to those outside. We stop caring about those that are different than us, that believe differently than us, which then leads us to get angry when the world starts acting lost and confused. The world was already lost and confused. We shouldn't expect someone to, who doesn't know Jesus to live as if they do. That's what happens when the church does not go. So how do we go? One point today. <laughs> One point today, and that is this. We need to take it slow we need to take it slow because great things start small. We need to think small. We need to start small. In Acts 1, 
Jesus. Again, Holy Spirit is, 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 is about to come down. These are the words, of, or the words of the disciples. First, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So Jesus defeated, the, uh, defeated death. He, he was about to ascend into heaven. And the disciples thought, he, he's, he's going to stay. He's not going to go anywhere. He's going to bring about the promise, which is the kingdom of God reigning again on earth. What does Jesus say? He says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Instead of this instant, powerful moment, Jesus goes up, and then he delegates by his power gospel seed for us to spread starting in one place, in Jerusalem and in Judea, and then to the ends of the earth. Isn't that beautiful that Jesus is the most powerful delegator that ever existed, that he empowers us to be his witnesses versus asking the creator God to do it all on his own. Great things start small. It started with one man, Went to three, his best friends, the 12 disciples. Jesus empowered 70. This early church was about 120 before uh, Pentecost. The day of Pentecost were 3,000. And now, uh, here's a quote. Billions of people now follow Christ's teachings and find in him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them because Christ's example helps me see the value in doing small things with great Love. Do you know who said that? Queen Elizabeth II on her Christmas broadcast in 2016. It's about the small things. Sometimes we look for the power. We look for that momentum. We, we get all hyped up like we were football players in, in the, the thing with the smoke. And then we run out and we're like, ah! And then we hit a wall because God says start small and slow down. I'm preaching to myself here. Small. Our favorite activity as a family, we bought this little pizza oven, you know, like gas powered and cooks pizza in like 60 seconds. It's awesome. But it's the best when you make your own dough. And so we, we're making our own dough now. Well, there's a problem. You got to prep like four hours in advance to make good pizza. Because the yeast takes time for things to rise. Jesus said this, and with this I'll close. Luke 13. Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and it became a tree and birds perched in its branches. Uh, mustard seeds about one to two millimeters. And it grows to become a tree that not only gives life in it, but provides life for those things outside of it. He goes on and compares it. What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Again, it is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. A, a little thing, a yeast is about one or two micrometers, smaller than a mustard seed, but it can provide 60 pounds. It's like 60 loaves of bread. It takes time. Here's the question that I want to close with. What is required for yeast to rise? 
a kitchen towel or something to cover it, right? A seed, in order for it to sprout, can't be over. It has to be underground. What is happening underground in your life right now? What is happening underneath that kitchen towel? What do your prayers look like? What do those small thoughts in your head look like? Are they full of bitterness for those on the outside in the state of our world? Or are they filled with the hope of Jesus who's called us to be salt and light in this dark world? Let it be the latter. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful not only for all that you're doing in our church, but that you've called your church to go and be this salt and light. We are challenged, humbled.